following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, we, we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, Josh said to me the other day, you know, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount all in one sitting. And, and how long has it taken now? And we're not even finished yet. We're not even there. We've been going for like four or five months, and, and we've still got maybe another month to go. So all I can say is I'm not Jesus. All right, that's what, that, yeah, if you didn't already know that, uh, that, is, that is the deal. So we are, we are taking it slow. It's, it's amazing to think, really, that this, it was that one day and people sat and heard this whole thing. Um, but we've been taking our time with it, which I think has been good. And just sitting with each part of the Sermon on the Mount, has that been healthy? Just to, just to sit at the feet of Jesus, in a sense, and just let him teach us. And, and so many different areas of our lives have been touched by this sermon. Uh, as we've thought about what does it mean to move from the crowd to be a disciple, to really be a follower, really take up the call to follow me. So that's kind of the framing that we've given to this whole series. Uh, this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 7. Olivia Warner is going to come and read this passage for us. Where are you, Olivia? Here she is. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Thanks, Olivia. All right, now there is a, a trend going around at the moment on social media, and uh, we like to keep up to speed on these things at Shore Community Church. So uh, the latest trend apparently is called manifesting. Has anybody heard about this? It sounds like a Christian thing. Uh, I think there's even a conference called Manifest Presence, but it's not that. It is not that at all. So manifesting, the idea is that you get in your mind what you really want, like visualize that thing, so whatever it is, PS5, 30-foot yacht, get that thing in your mind, and you send all your energy towards that thing. I don't even know how you do that, but you, send, you, you channel your personal energy towards that thing, and that goes out into the universe, and the universe will return that to you. I was reading an article about manifesting this week, just purely for research purposes, of course, and um, I, it was the, the reason I mention it is because I was fascinated to see that it quoted the verse that we're looking at this morning. So it quoted Matthew 7, 7, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And then the article said this, the above quote from the book of Matthew is perhaps one of the most quoted verses from the Bible. The instant you ask for something with your will and your intention, you set in motion an almighty force that starts arranging the entire universe to bring that intention into physical form. When you have a single idea that you think over and over again, 
You put enough energy into that thought for it to be attracted and to manifest. So, ask and you shall receive, people. Just ask the universe, and everything that you want shall be yours. So, isn't that an interesting example of the way that we can read into Scripture what we want to see? And that if you try hard enough, you can basically make the Bible say pretty much anything that you want it to say. And our culture always influences the way that we read these things and what we think it means. And if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are manifesting and then you read these verses, that's kind of how you're going to interpret it. And it becomes this really selfish, self-orientated thing about speaking it out into the universe rather than uh, guidance around how we can pray to the living God of heaven, which is what Jesus is actually talking about. So what we need to do this morning is to work really hard at putting these verses, which are difficult to interpret, back into the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what we've tried to do all along, is to place these words into the context that Jesus spoke them, to hear them in the context of the rest of this sermon, and then to allow them to speak to our lives from there. So we need to sit with that and try, we can never do this perfectly, but try to put aside as many of our own assumptions as we can about what this passage means. Try to put aside as many of our own preconceptions and cultural constructs as we can. Try to hear these words spoken by Jesus afresh into our lives. Can we do that? Can we try? All right. Let's dive in here. So Jesus, these are familiar words, okay? We, we know, many of us know these words quite well, but let's just dive a little deeper. Verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now the question is, what is Jesus talking about here? What is Jesus promising here? Because even as a Christian... It can sound like this is a pretty open-ended promise, right? I mean, because Jesus doesn't specify what we're supposed to be asking for, not explicitly. He, it is, he does just leave it open. Just ask, and you'll receive. So, you know, we could think, and some Christians have, that really this is basically a blank check. That, you know, if you, if you need a new Tesla, just ask God, and you will receive, right? Isn't that how it works? Uh, you need a new job. Seek.co.nz. It's a good website to try. See? Knock on the door of the house that you want, and it will be opened unto you. And if we just ask, you know, with enough faith, if we just pray long enough, if we just do it right, whatever, you know, then God is going to bring this into our lives. Well, I want to try and give you some broader context for thinking about what Jesus is saying here. I want to point out three things around these verses that help us understand rightly what Jesus is talking about. Firstly, to get verse 7 and 8, you need to look backwards. You've got to go back to what Jesus has already been talking about. And this is a good time just to stop and pause and take a breath and think about the journey that we've been on with the Sermon on the Mount. This passage sits at the end of the second part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount broadly can be divided into three parts. The first part is all that stuff about the, the Beatitudes and the law. Do you remember all that where Jesus was saying, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard it said that, I tell you this. So Jesus reinterpreting the law. The second part of the Beatitudes was around discipleship and what it means to live within the kingdom. And those subjects went far and wide. But this passage sits at the end of that section. So essentially, 
you're two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount by the time you get to this point. And that's important because if you've been on this journey, like if you've been tracking through this series with us, then it should be pretty much impossible for you to get to this point after all that Jesus has said, after all that he's gone through, get to this point and go, oh, good, Jesus is saying, if I just ask for a Tesla, I'm going to get one. Like after everything we've heard about don't store up treasures on earth, after seek first the kingdom of God, after you can't serve God in money, if we get to this point and we think that this is just kind of permission for us to just get whatever stuff we want for our lives, we really haven't been listening, have we? We really haven't been listening to a lot of what Jesus has been talking about because the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to try and get us away from ourselves, get us out of our own heads, get us off our own agenda and orientate us towards the kingdom of God, orientate us towards the things that matter to God, move us beyond ourselves towards others, towards thinking about other people around us, whether it's our neighbor or our enemy, to to think about life in regard to the other, not the self. So if we now just think, well, this is basically an unconditional promise, whatever whatever I want, I'm going to get, we've lost the thread of the Sermon on the Mount. The way that we interpret these verses should be shaped by the rest of what Jesus has just said. What are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking? Well, what has Jesus just been talking about? Here's the way D.A. Carson describes it. He says, this asking is an asking for the virtues Jesus has just expounded. This seeking is a seeking for God. This knocking is a knocking at heaven's throne room. So can you, when, you, when you read this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what, what are we asking for? We're, we're, we're saying, God, I pray that you would help me to live out what you've been teaching me. Because I can't do it myself. I pray that you would give me the strength to live. God, I pray you'd give me the strength to love my enemies. Like That's not something I can do in my own strength. God, I pray you'd give me your grace to not take revenge on people. God, I pray you'd give me your perspective on my possessions and my money so that I don't end up serving two masters. God, I pray that you would help me to pray. God, I pray you would help me to seek first your kingdom. That's the prayer. Can you hear that? It's all fueled by what we've learned so far in the Sermon on the Mount. We're asking for these teachings to be made manifest, I hate to use that word, manifest in our lives. Now, let me add another layer to this. To interpret this uh, rightly, we can't just look back, we've also got to look forward. So the way that you interpret verse 7 and 8 also needs to look ahead to verse 12. Have a look at this verse. Jesus says, so in everything, do for others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Have you heard that somewhere before? That's the golden rule. We know that, don't we? We know those words. We just didn't think they were in the Bible. We thought that was just like a meme on Instagram. But this is, these, these words came from the mouth of Jesus. And this really is the pinnacle of Jesus' ethical teachings. Sometimes this verse has been called the Everest of ethics. The highest point in Jesus' ethical teachings of all the ways that he encouraged us to relate to one another, this is the high point. Do for others as you'd have them do for you. Sounds so simple. 
right? It just rolls off the tongue. But think about what that means. To the, the love that you want, you show that love. The care you desire from others, you show that. The level of respect you want others to have for you, you show that respect. The attention you want to get from other people, you give that attention to other people. When you start to get your head around what Jesus is asking here, you start to realize, man, this is way beyond me. And I think that's the point. I think the point is that for those people who are listening to Jesus, they get to this point in the sermon, and it's just like, Jesus, really? Like, after everything you've already told us, you know, we've already had love your enemies. We've already had hate is the equivalent of murder. We've already had lust is the equivalent of adultery. We've had don't store up treasure. Like after all this, Jesus, now you're telling me, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now you're saying I should give the same love that I desire for myself. Like this is just beyond me, Jesus. This is, this is absolutely impossible. How in the world can I live out these kinds of ethics? And I think Jesus answers that by saying, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Just knock, and the door will be open. Actually, it's already open. You see, verse 7 and 8 are the answer to verse 12. If you just read verse 12, just have a look at that. If you read that in isolation, and honestly, most people do. It's amazing in the commentaries. Most commentators take verse 12 as a totally isolated verse, as if it has nothing to do with the passage that comes before it. I think it's deeply integrated with what's come before it. How on earth are you going to live out verse 12 if you're not asking the Lord for His grace every single day? How in the world do you think you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, love other people as you want to be loved, if you are not on your knees seeking after the grace and the kingdom of God? Like That's where the strength comes from. And that's incredibly encouraging because what it means is that this passage is really a word of grace into our lives. It's a word of grace to these weary souls where we, the whole point is that you get to this, this far in the Sermon on the Mount and you say, God, I can't do this. Like There is no possible way I can live up to this. If you've gotten through this series and you get to this point and you're like, yeah, I think I've got this down. I've pretty much mastered the Sermon on the Mount. What's next? Come on, Jesus, give me a challenge. You know, like if that's your attitude, you really haven't, you just haven't been here or you've been, you know, zoned out. We, we ought to get to this point and fall on our knees and say, God, there is no way in heaven. I could ever do that. And that is a beautifully liberating point to come to because that's when you hear the Father say, I know you can't. And that's why I have lived this out for you in my earthly life. And that's why I've poured my grace into your life. I know, He knows you can't live up to this. He knows. Now, that's not an excuse to do nothing, but it's to bring ourselves to that point where we say, God, I'm totally dependent on your grace. Like, utterly, utterly dependent. If, if you think you can live this out in your own strength and your own willpower, that engine is never going to get you anywhere. It is only the grace of God that fills our lives and enables us to take the smallest little baby steps on this whole journey. So this, this word, we can hear it as a word of grace to a weary, broken, sinful soul where Jesus says, I know 
that you don't have a hope of living this out, but you ask me, just ask me, come to me, and I will give you my strength. I'll give you my strength to start living this out. So what are we asking for? We're asking for the Sermon on the Mount to come alive in our lives by the grace of God. What are we seeking? We're seeking after God. What are we knocking? We're knocking on the door of heaven, which is already open, so we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. That's what Jesus is talking about. Let me add one final layer to this, and then we'll go on to verse 9. What, what Jesus is saying is built on an earlier passage of Scripture. There is an Old Testament background to this. Back in Jeremiah 9, uh, 29, you don't need to turn there, just let me read this to you. Uh, there's a, a couple of verses that form the backdrop to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jeremiah says, well, this is God through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 12, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Can you hear the echoes of those texts between this and the Sermon on the Mount? See, Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah saying to Israel, I want you to, want you to seek after me. And notice what they're seeking. So he doesn't say, I want you to seek morality. He doesn't say, I want you to seek good behavior. He doesn't even at this point say, I want you to seek righteousness. He says, you will seek me. Right? You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What God is wanting us to do and what Jesus is saying is I want you to seek after my presence. I want you to learn, we've talked about this, to hunger and thirst after me, to hunger and thirst for the presence of God in your life, to seek after God, not just to seek after some lifestyle, not just to seek after better behavior. The Sermon on the Mount's not written to make good people better people. Did you realize that? If that's what you thought it was, you've missed it. This is about the presence of God filling our lives and then flowing out from our lives to others. And that only happens when we start seeking hard after God with all of our heart to truly seek His power, truly seek His presence, truly seek the filling of the Spirit in our lives so that we can live out what Jesus is saying here. And here's the beautiful thing. When you start seeking after God, or the promise of Jeremiah 29, is that God wants to be found. Isn't that a fantastic dimension of our faith that we are seeking a God who wants to be found? Can you hear that? Do you care about that? That God is a God, like He's not playing games with us. He's not running away from us. He's not off in some other place. God's saying, I want you to, want you to seek me because I desire to be found by you. Reminds me of a game that our family plays sometimes. We haven't played it for a while, but um, hide and seek in the dark. Anybody played that? It's great. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's hide and seek, but it's in the dark. So you play it in winter, like after daylight savings. About now is a good time of year when the sun goes down and you turn off all the lights in the house. And then it's just standard hide and seek. Someone's counting and then everyone else is going and hiding. And uh, when our kids were younger, it was even better because they were freaked out by the dark. And so then they'd be running around the house, these scary bedrooms that were all dark. But the great thing about hide and seek in the dark is that you can hide anywhere. It doesn't matter. In fact, the best hiding place is right in the middle of the room. And sometimes I'd just hide standing against a wall. And the kids are coming in and they're looking under the bed 
and looking through the sheets, looking in the cupboards, and I'm just standing there. But their eyes haven't adjusted to the dark, so they can't see me. And then eventually they give up and turn on the lights, and it's like, oh, Dad's right there. There we are the whole time standing there in, in plain sight. Now, I, I offer that as a very weak analogy of what Jesus is saying here. But maybe it can be helpful that we rummage around all over the place looking for God, and we seek Him in a whole lot of places. But all the time, God's standing right there. All the time, He's just there. And this kind of prayer that Jesus is inviting us into here is just like flicking on the light switch. And then you see there's God. He's there all along. He's been there the whole time. I just wasn't, it's like Jacob saying, surely the Lord is in this place, but I just wasn't aware of it. He's been there the whole time. Now, you may not feel his prayer. Don't worry too much about that. You may not emotionally have a really strong sense of God's presence all the time, but your perception of his presence doesn't change the reality of his presence, does it? Whether or not you feel it, whether or not you think, you know, sense it or not. He's right there. He is with you. And through this flicking on the light switch, just ask, just seek, just knock. It's like turning on the light switch and you realize God's there the whole time. He's not hiding off in a cupboard somewhere. He's closer than you could possibly imagine. And he's been right there the whole time. So just ask and seek and knock. In fact, those words, ask, seek, knock, the way that Jesus uses the verbs there, they indicate continuous action. So you could translate that, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You keep, Jesus is inviting us into this rhythm of life where we're continuing to seek his kingdom and seek his presence. And we're not seeking something that's out there somewhere that's unavailable to us. We're seeking something God's already given us, which is the gift of his presence. Now that kind of leads us into the next section. Let's come back to Matthew 7 one more time. Because the question is, if, if that's what it means to ask, what are, we, what are we then receiving from God? What is God offering us? What are we receiving when we pray? So verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus uses this image of the Father and the Son to describe the way God is a, is a loving Father who gives good gifts to His children. Now, I find it helpful to think about my own relationship with my boys when I interpret this passage, because we're talking about a father giving good gifts to his sons, right? So let's think about that. If my son comes to me and asks for a piece of bread, I'm probably going to say yes, unless it's two in the morning or something, but you know, generally, yes. If he comes to me and says, can I have a fish? It's a bit harder. Uh, fish, is, fish is expensive, you know, maybe, maybe some mints instead. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm still going to try and help him out. <laughs> uh, if he comes to me and says, can I please have the video game Grand Theft Auto? I'm probably going to say no. Why? Because that's not good for him. So this is not an unconditional promise that every father, including God, is going to give you everything you want just because you think it's a good gift. Do you know, if God gave you everything that you wanted, he would not be good? Is that right? Just like if your earthly father or mother gave you everything you wanted, would they really be good? Well, the kid's are like, yes, 
course they would be. So no brainer, right? No, they wouldn't. Because sometimes what we want is not the best. God's a good father and he will give you what is, be- what is ultimately good, what is good in his purposes, what is good in his perspective, not just what our own uh, sinful hearts think is good. Now, I think the best way of understanding what Jesus is really promising here, what, what are these gifts that we receive? Well, sometimes in the Gospels, it helps to line up a passage with the parallel passage in another Gospel where Jesus says more or less the same thing. And we can do that here because there's a really similar passage in Luke chapter 11. Let me just read this to you, and you'll hear the similarity straight away. Luke 11, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. Interesting, eh? So what's the gift here? It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's not a video game, believe it or not. It's not a yacht. It's not a jet ski. It's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, ask and seek and knock, and God will give you the Holy Spirit, or God will give you the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings into your life. Now, we need to be careful here, because in one sense, you already have the Spirit. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. So don't think, oh, you know, God's, every time I ask, God's going to give me the Holy Spirit. You've already, you have the Spirit living in you. But when we ask God, and we genuinely seek His kingdom, God releases the power of His Spirit even more in our lives. That's what we're talking about. And God uh, enables us to experience more of the empowering and the filling of the Spirit in our lives as we seek Him and as we ask. And so really, what we're asking for here is the work of the Holy Spirit in living out the teachings of Jesus. And this is a continual, remember, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So this is us coming to God, and you can, when you think about the Holy Spirit, you can directly pray this to the Spirit. You can directly pray this to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me the power to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you this day. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me afresh with your power and help me to live with wisdom as I navigate these tough decisions at work. Holy Spirit, I pray that your voice would be the voice that I listen to above every other voice. All those voices in my mind, all these other voices pulling me in these different directions. Holy Spirit, I pray that your voice would be the voice that is louder, the voice that is clearer. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd show me in the moment how I can choose your kingdom, what that looks like in every single decision. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me put to death this habit that I keep going back to and back to and back to and back to, and I can't seem to get rid of it. This, that's my flesh that's still crying out against you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to, to take hold of the power of heaven, to move forward in that area of my life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless my family and help us to be strong and united as a team, as a family. I pray that you'd help other members in my family to know you and to love you and to really desire your kingdom, and not all these other things that they are being distracted by. You see, you hear the rhythm of life that Jesus is inviting us into here. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's the work of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who draws you into that intimate communion with the Father. 
That's why Romans 8 says, it is by the Spirit that we cry out, Abba, 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 Father. That's the Abba, it's like it's similar to our daddy, getting very close, that endearing, most endearing term that a child could use to address their father, Abba, Daddy. And Scripture is saying it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to have that kind of connection to God, that kind of intimacy with God, that kind of seeking after God. You know who else called God Abba? Who addressed God as Abba? Jesus, right? Yeah, so he, he calls God Abba, Father. This is the beautiful work of the Spirit in our life, is the Spirit enables you to have the same intimacy with the Father that Jesus had, that you can come into the presence of God just like Jesus did, and you can know God in that same intimate communion. That's the work of the Spirit in your life, drawing you close, drawing you close, drawing you close. So that's part of our prayer, is to walk in the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd continue to help me be more aware of your presence in my life. Help me be more aware of the presence of the Father. Draw me closer. Draw me closer to Abba, Abba Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who is ultimately going to bear good fruit in your life, who is ultimately going to help you take steps to live out what Jesus is saying here. Because after all, isn't it called the fruit of the Spirit? Like it's not the fruit of self-effort, is it? It's not the fruit of self-improvement. It's not the fruit of positive thinking, that's for sure. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that any of these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are really going to come to be embodied in our lives is if we are posturing our hearts in a place of total reliance and dependence on the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. That's why this verse is where it is in the Sermon on the Mount. So that after all this time, we rid ourselves and disabuse ourselves of any notion that we are going to get to the top of the hill in our own strength. Jesus is bringing us back to a place of dependence, a place of reliance, a place of acknowledging it's only by the sheer grace and mercy and pleasure of God that we can take steps on this journey. And it's a very freeing place to come back to because we come empty-handed before God and say, I don't have this God, but by your Spirit, would you do something in my life that's real? Something in my life that's true? Something in my life that makes me more like Jesus? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on praying. Keep on knocking. I've just finished a biography of Charles Spurgeon, who was a British pastor, preacher in the 19th century. Um, fantastic preacher and had an amazing ministry, started many organizations and charities, orphanage, many things. His sermons were translated into multiple languages around the world, which was amazing in the age before mass media that he was able to do all of these things. So he was a phenomenal leader and pastor. But as you read the life of Spurgeon, his was a life soaked in prayer. And that's what, it's, it's what stands out more than anything else. All these amazing things that he did, but behind the scenes was a continual life of prayer. And he just lived that. He just lived in this way that he was connected to the presence of God. And you'd be hanging out with Spurgeon. People would just be walking with him in the woods. And, the, and he'd just say, let's just stop and pray. Let's just pause and talk to God about that. Or let's just pause and thank God for that, whatever thing that was we were talking about. Sometimes he would just, in the course of his day, just send up those short prayers. Sometimes they're called arrow prayers, just one-sentence prayers into heaven's throne room. Just, God, I need your help. God, give me wisdom. God, I need your strength. 
Sometimes those prayers can be the most powerful prayers. Just on your way from one room to another room, on your way down the hallway, on your way between one meeting and the next meeting, one class to the next class, just those short little prayers, God, I'm with you, you are with me, we're okay. One of the sentences in my mind I got from Henry now, and it's, I am your beloved, your favor rests on me. That has been a healing balm in my soul. Just that short, it's like a mantra. Not in kind of a weird way, but just, God, I'm your beloved. Your favor rests on me. That brings me back to ask, seek, knock. It brings me back to the presence of the Spirit. It moves me away from self and willpower and just doing it in my own strength. And it brings me back to, God, you're right here. And you've been here all along. Or the verse, that, uh, the phrase that the blind man cried out to Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You just take that on your lips as you go through the day. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Especially in those times we feel broken and we feel weak. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It brings you back to grace. It brings you back to the cross. It brings you back to, I can't, God, but you can. That's asking and that's seeking and that's knocking. And just remember, friends, we are not asking for something here that God is withholding. Don't ever think that keep on asking means keep trying and trying and trying and maybe one day you'll get there. Just remember, we are asking for something that is already given to us. Can you hear that? You already have the Spirit. God's hand's already open towards you. He delights to give good gifts of the Spirit to His children. We're not seeking something that's far off in the distance. We are seeking the kingdom which is already here. And we're not knocking on a door that's bolted shut We're knocking on a door that's already been opened by Jesus, the Son of God, who invites us into the heavenly throne room and says, this is where you belong. So asking, seeking and knocking for that which God already delights to give his children. I thought we'd finish this morning having spoken about Spurgeon with a prayer that Charles Spurgeon wrote. He prayed many prayers, some of them public some private with his family, some prayers known only to God that were just communion between him and the Father. But here's one of his public prayers, and I'll pray this together, and maybe it reflects some words that your heart can, you can join your heart to this prayer and make this your cry and your desire to enter into the throne room of grace and receive the fresh power of the Spirit into your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, take from us now everything that would hinder the closest communion with God. Any wish or desire that might hamper us in prayer, remove, we pray. Any memory of either sorrow or care that might hinder the fixing of our attention wholly on our God, take it away now. Our Father, we are very weak. Worst of all, We are very wicked if left to ourselves, and we soon fall prey to the enemy. Therefore, help us. We confess that sometimes in prayer, when we are nearest to you, at that very time, some evil thought comes in, some wicked desire. Oh, what poor simpletons we are. Lord, help us. We feel as if we would now come closer to you still and hide under the shadow of your wings. 
we who wish to be lost in God, we pray that you may live in us. And not that we live, but that Christ lives in us and shows himself in us and through us. Lord, sanctify us. Oh, that your spirit might come and saturate every faculty, subdue every passion, and use every power of our nature for obedience to God. And Jesus, we just join our prayers to the prayers of Charles Spurgeon this morning. And you, you hear the cries of our heart in the room today. God, bring us to that place where we can see the life that you're calling us to live. But we can say, God, I can't. I cannot, God. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. I don't have the strength, God. But I'm asking you and I'm seeking you and we're knocking on the door of heaven, God. And we thank you that even before we ask, you know it. Even before we seek, you hear us. Even before we're knocking, you're already responding. You're already running towards us. You're already pouring out your spirit into our lives. Holy Spirit, I want to pray now just for a fresh touch of your power, your presence, your peace, a sense of hope. Some, some of us just need hope in the room today. Holy Spirit, would you give the good gifts that you delight to give to your people? Just as each one here needs to receive it, just as each one needs that good gift from you this morning, Holy Spirit, would you pour it now into our hearts, fresh power, that we might this week be sent out as your people. And Lord, we know it's going to be two steps forward and three steps backwards, but we thank you, you're a loving Father, and you pick us up every time and set us back on our feet. Thank you, God, that it's all by your grace. And it's all a gift of your mercy. And we just thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. So undeserved, but so freely given. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live within us. And you're our encourager, our comforter, our advocate, and our friend. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.